Beer It Is is a CSPN Media podcast production. Please visit our website at cspn.us for more episodes of Beer It Is and for ways to keep our podcast free for you. Alright boys and girls, my name is Nubias Woolborn. The name of the marquee is Beer It Is. Shout out to the CSPN Network for allowing me to do this show each and every week for absolutely free. Everywhere you can find podcasts, whether it be iTunes, Google, Stitcher, it doesn't matter. We are going everywhere and when you plug it in, it blasts your radio loud and clear or your speakers or however you listen to your podcast. So this week... We are talking to Mitch Steele, got the new brewery, new realm in Atlanta, Georgia. And by the way, for me right now, I am at Bray Spring Training, second, really third week down here now, man. It is definitely kind of stringing together. But before I left, I went and met with Mitch Steele, sat in his brewery, talked to him for a while, in case you don't know who Mitch Steele is. Pretty much, he literally wrote the book on India Pale Ales, a.k.a. IPAs. So... That's his background. That's his culture. At Stone Brewing, you know, one of the pinnacle pillars of craft brewing. So it was really cool to sit and chat with Mitch. We And we get off running. You know, we start talking about life, his journey in beer, how he went from being a winemaker to a brewer, and everything else that he went to. And we're going to get right into the interview. But before we go there... I just want to take a minute to shout out our good friends at Amazon. They help keep our podcast free. You can do that, too. Visit CSPN.us. Click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down. Click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon that you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics. In this case, it's beer, right? So what you're going to do, you're going to get your hops, your grain, your malt, your wheat, your barley, all these other things. You could buy them all on Amazon.com. Every purchase made on Amazon through our link. Amazon sends CSPN a payment. That payment helps keep podcasts like mine, beer it is, absolutely free, and it doesn't cost you anything. All you got to do is click on Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. And, look, I could go on and on. Well, real quick, actually, before we get into the show, let me tell you a few things so far. Been down here in Florida. So, basically, as you know, the Braves train at Lake Buena Vista and, you know, in the Orlando area, Central Florida. You know, just yesterday I was in Tampa. So, you know, going down there. And checking out the Braves, Yankees, saw Russell Wilson strike out. But it was it was a fun moment. You know, everybody was on their feet. It was a good time. Max Freed, Braves pitcher, was not playing around in that at bat as he shouldn't have been. You know, Max Freed is trying to make the Braves. He's trying to be a major leaguer. And, you know, if you look at the Braves starting lineup, the starting roster, right, there's three spots that are already taken. That's Julio Tehran, Brandon McCarthy, and Mike fulton you know, one, two, three, however you rank them. There's two spots for young pitchers, and that's guys like Sean Newcomb, Luis Gohara, and Max Freed. 
Max Reed wants one of those spots. And if he doesn't get one of those starting rotation spots, he wants a bullpen spot. So the last thing Max Reed needs is for some football player to come into his world showing him up. And plus, you know, Freed even said, hey, look, man, this guy has played minor league baseball. So he's seen him in the 90s. So he buckled him with that curveball, and it was fun. But after that, I went by Cigar City, hollered at Wayne Wombles and the crew. There's a real cool beer fest in Florida for the Florida Brewers Guild Festival, which really is the initiator to Tampa Beer Week. So that's going to be fun, checking out Tampa, learning. I'll get to go by there a little bit. I'm mostly going to be based in Orlando, but the cool thing about you know spring training is that I'll be in Jupiter, I'll be in Port St. Lucie. I'll pretty much be all over the state, literally from Orlando all the way down to West Palm Beach and everywhere. So look forward. Next week, I'll start some of these Florida breweries. I'll have Tomoka Farms, which is a cool brewery in Port Orange, and they also have a place in New England Beach, right? Excuse me. Um, one of the beaches there. So it's really cool, Ormond. And you can go there, sit on the beach, drink your beer, and enjoy it. And I had a fine time catching up with them. The week after that, talk to Greenbrench. My man, Chris, who's in my brothers and craft beer group, had a ball talking beer with him, drinking beer with him, and we had a good time, so that's going to be fun. After that, you know, we're going to try to get into some more Florida breweries, setting up some time with the folks at Angry Chair down in Tampa, setting up some time with the folks at Cycle, going to get into some of these Orlando breweries, like Orlando Brewing Company, so going to make the most out of this time, you know, doing spring training as well as, you know, drinking beer and spreading the gospel of craft beer, hashtag support your local brewer, you know, I also brought down some cool beers to share from Red Brick. I tell you what, man, right now, Red Brick in Atlanta, Gavin McKenna, big ups to you, brother, because you are rocking and rolling. Every time I take your beer somewhere, people are getting into it. You know, they're they, literally, I took it to a brewery, and the brewers were fighting over the last sip of the Grasshopper Hype Whale variation. So, and this guy is one particular guy is like, I don't even like mint, but I like it in this beer. So, I was really impressed with how people are relating to him. And the Georgia beer scene is growing. You know, shout out to Creature Comforts. They had some cool releases. And shout out to that crew. They, you know, they sent them to me to make sure I had them. So, I appreciate that as I'm still down here in Florida for the next couple of weeks getting ready for the Braves to open up their season on March 29th against the Philadelphia Phillies. And... I think this year could be a fun one for the Braves. And, you know, I, I mostly talk beer on this show, obviously. But, you know, guys know me. You know, I cover the Braves for the Mirror Daily Journal. I also do some NBA for Sporting News. And, you know, I'm also on Know the Score podcast on this network. So, you know, I, look, I, I'll try to keep a little bit of sports on here every now and then. I also have a conversation set up with Tony Gwynn Jr., obviously the son of Tony Gwynn. But he's also a brewer. And so we, when they Padres come to town, we're going to sit down and chat and have a couple of beers you know, in the press box. I think that'll be fun, right? But anyway, that being said, I mentioned San Diego. I mentioned the West Coast. Good way for me to segue on to the real point of this show is our conversation with Mitch Steele from New Realm Brewing, originator, one of the founders, excuse me, one of the old school head brewers at Stone. Like I said, literally wrote the book on IPAs. So, Get into this conversation with Mitch Steele. Go support our good friends at Amazon. And here we go with Mitch Steele.
All right, boys and girls, welcome back to Beard Is on the CSPN Network. Once again, my name is Tobias Schoolborn. Obviously, the name of the market is Beard Is. Thank you to our good friends at Amazon. As I told you about earlier, how to help keep the podcast free. But, you know, we're not going to wait any further. We are here on the Beltline in beautiful Atlanta, GA, with my man, the myth, the legend, Mitch Still, brewer slash founder of New Realm Brewing. Mitch, how are you feeling today, man? Doing great. Thanks. Man, no, thank you, man. So let's get right into it, man. Let's get into the background. All right. Back in 1984, graduated from UC Davis out of the brewing (laughs) program. What was that life like going to school for brewing in the early 80s, man? Well, it was a a different time for sure. (laughs) Uh, It was, you know, the brewing program at UC Davis was largely funded by grants from companies like Anheuser-Busch. Right. Uh, craft brewing was just getting started. Uh, most of the curriculum focused on how to brew American lagers. Mm. Um, the, the professor at Davis, Michael Lewis, was was from Wales, so there was a lot of information on British brewing techniques, which really kind of fueled the interest for me in, in craft beers. But most of what we learned was how to brew American lager and using adjuncts and things like that. And uh, a lot of the students that went through UC Davis ended up getting jobs at large American breweries because that was really all there was. Uh, it's changed a lot since then, obviously. But, you know, when I got out of school, uh, we were in the middle of a recession, and big breweries were struggling a bit, right. and they weren't hiring. So I ended up going a different direction and, and started making wine and just had my eyes set on craft, uh, you know, which we didn't call craft back then. We called it micro brews but right uh, micro you know, and then there's nano brewing which yeah, is a whole other thing right the, other thing the now, super small yeah. systems yeah yeah <laughs> so all right so you mentioned that right you're winemaker all right so you for five years you were making wine out of school right yep that's how was true. how was that life like as a winemaker what were you making and by the way where were you working as a winemaker well i was working in the town of hollister california uh, which is on the central coast it's near monterey and gilroy and if anybody knows central california but it, it was it was interesting because it changed a lot in the years that I did it. When I first started out, it was very exciting because I was working for a large company that was trying to do some very high-end wines and get into mm. into really credible high-end wines. And we were doing some interesting techniques and doing new things that hadn't been done by a lot of winemakers, uh, using some French techniques and things like that. So it was a lot of fun. You know, we were right. aging beer or wine in barrels. Uh, we were fermenting in barrels. We were doing all sorts of cool stuff. And then about two or three years into it, uh, the company I was working for, Almaden, got sold to a big winery conglomerate. Mm. Um, And then the focus changed, and it became more about making, you know, became more about uh, counting the beans, and and, uh, they they tore out a lot of the really cool vineyards that we had had for 100 years, and, you know, just the the whole thing changed, and and it wasn't fun anymore, and that's when I turned my eyes back to brewing. Nice. Now... In that process, you met somebody. Tell me about that meeting that kind of changed you from being a part-time brewer to end up becoming a full-time brewer. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, um, I was, you know, the, the town of Hollister, I think it had about 15,000 people. Um, <laughs> and they had a, they had the local newspaper, which everybody read. And right. I was reading it one day and, and I saw this article about a gentleman uh, who was starting a brewery, a brew pub in the town of Hollister. And I'm like... Well, that's interesting. I, I said, I'm not sure Hollister can support one because most of the most of the uh, brew pubs in the, you know, at that time were in the 
greater Bay Area, you know, and a larger population center. So I was kind of curious about that. But, you know, his name was Bill Millar, and he worked at a local uh, tomato canning factory, <laughs> and, you know, which Collister had a whole bunch of them. Right. And he was starting this brewery. And mm. I read this article, and I said, wow, that sounds really great. And he was going to do earthquake-themed beers and the whole bit. Nice. And Hollister is known as the earthquake capital of the world. There's a lot of small earthquakes that happen there all the time. So it's right, it sits right on two fault zones. So anyway, you know, this being the age that it was, I grabbed my phone book and I looked up Bill's number and I called it. It wasn't a Google or anything <laughs> no. like that. No GPS. None of that, right? So I did it the old school way and I, I called him up and I just said, hi, you know, I introduced myself and I said, I'd love to talk to you about what you're doing. I'm a brewing science guy from UC Davis. I'm here working as a winemaker in town. And, and, you know, and my initial thoughts were to maybe invest in what he was doing or just somehow be part of it and get exposed to the business. And we sat down and met at the place and he showed me what he was doing and the equipment that he was buying and where everything was going to go. And we talk, started talking about beers and the beers he wanted to brew. And after about two hours, he, he looked at me and he goes, you know, I don't have a brewer yet. You want the job. Like, oh boy! Well, yeah, <laughs> you know? so so right. that's that's how it worked, and and it it, it wasn't a full time job for me. I moonlighted mm-hmm. doing the the brewery job, uh, but I did it for four years. Yeah, so what, what what was that life like? Is in in the morning you're you're brewing, you're concocting wines, and you're yeah. doing that. So you're dealing with the hoity toity people with the pinky out, right? <laughs> and then at night you're grinding on the brew. And well, this is a fourteen barrel brew house, right? Yeah, it was a fourteen yeah. barrel brew house. I, you know, I just was enjoying the hell out of it. I was having a great time. And it, yeah, I was working a lot, but this was before I was married and before I had kids or anything. So <laughs> nice. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I had a lot of things I was giving up to do this. And so it, it was just fun for me for a long time. And after four years into it, uh, I realized it was never going to be more than what it was at the point, you mm. know. And I, was, I started to get the itch and just said, okay, I got I to gotta do something else. All right. And then speaking of doing something else, keep it, keep it here on Beer It Is. On the CSP Network, my name is Tobias Wilborn, here with Mitch Steele at New Realm Brewing. So we're talking about, you know, just the game here as you're learning. So you're going there. You're doing the how many hours a night were you doing at the brewery, and how many were you doing at the winery? Oh, it was probably 16 hours a week at the brewery. I was, I was doing, you know, we were doing a lot of Saturday brewing and, and Friday, nice. you know, half a Friday kind of thing, you know. But it was, yeah, it was about 16 hours a week, I'd say. All right, so then you, you were there, did that for four years, you're doing the winery, and then from there, you decided to scale up. Yeah. <laughs> but you go to Anheuser, man. What yeah. was that life like, man? Well, it was, you know, I was hired on as a shift supervisor at Anheuser-Busch's Brewery in Fort Collins, Colorado. And, um, you know, I was rotating shifts and, you know, working a lot. Um, it was a union brewery, so all the all the brewers were unions, so you mm. couldn't really be hands-on at all. Wow. Uh, but it was a management supervisory position, just learning how to run a brewery. And, I, you know, when I got the job, I figured... I'll give this a few years and try and get as much knowledge as I can about how to mm-hmm. run a brewery, and then I'll try to get back to craft. And that was my mindset going into this job. So what what, what, what year was that? That was 1992. Wow. And, like, and you were in Fort Collins, of all yeah. places. That's when, I mean, a lot, I think it's one of the epicenters of... The, what did what we call craft? I oh, mean, for sure. today and back then, right? Yeah, back then that was when Odell's and New Belgium were just getting started. Um, it, it was a great craft beer town, and and so it was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, there was a brew pub right in the middle of town, and you know it was a great place to hang out, and um, you know you get exposed to a lot of different beer styles there, and and that was it was a great city to live in. I loved it. So all right, let's go back a little bit. 
What were you first drinking? What was your first good beer? Do you remember? Uh, <laughs> uh, I drank a lot of import beers. I had a, a buddy of mine, a real good friend of mine, worked in a liquor store in the town where I was growing up. Nice. And, and so he he was able to get interesting beers now and then, and we. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd go out and taste them. And, yeah, so, the, you know, it was a lot of import stuff, a lot of English stuff, a lot of Canadian, you know, like Moosehead Lager was, like... Nice. That was a big deal, you know, back then. Um, you know, and then through college, you know, while I was on a budget, it was it was more along the lines of hams and Michelob for special occasions kind of thing. <laughs> hams, um, and, ooh. Yeah, hams, two ninety nine as well. You know, that was, that was what we could afford, but... You know, at, at the same time um, in college, when I was—that's uh, when I discovered Anchor Steam in Sierra Nevada. Yeah. So those were those were pretty important beers in my in my life. Man, I, to this day, a fresh Anchor Steam. <laughs> if you're ever out, if yeah. you're ever out that way, get it fresh from that brewery. Is still it's, wonderful, it's still mind blowing, man. Yeah. It is still a beautiful. Good-looking, well-made beer. Yeah, it's just a beautiful beer, and I, I remember the brewing professor, Michael Lewis, would gather his students uh, on Friday afternoons at a local pub, and we'd drink beer and talk beer and stuff, and uh, that was the first time I had Anchor. And wow. it was it, it was on draft in this place in Davis, and oh wow, yeah, we drank a <laughs> bunch of it, and I just, like after the initial shock of the intensity of the flavor, about halfway through the pint, I was like, wow, I'm really liking this, and. That was that was it. <laughs> and then you mentioned Sierra, man. And, 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 and is there still anything as good as like I guess I mentioned that Anchor Steam? Is there still anything as good as the Fresh Sierra Nevada Pale Ale? Oh, that was <coughs> that was a beer that changed my life. Honestly, it, it was. You know, that was we took a, a field trip there from UC Davis. It's about a two-hour drive to get to Chico, and this was. In 1983 or 1984. So your maps, like, no, there's no Google, there's no GPS. You yeah, just... it was all maps, and, yeah, we were in a bus, and, you <laughs> nice. know, and the TA drove the bus, and, and we got up there, and this was when Ken um, and the Sierra Nevada team, they had still had the open-top fermenters, and it was oh, in wow. their very first facility, and they had this, you know, all these pe- pieces of equipment that were cobbled together, you know, with the, with his welding skill and everything. And I'm standing there, and we're tasting these beers, this Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which was the hoppiest beer I'd ever tasted in my life. And mm. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what I want to do. Wow. And that was, that was kind of the driving. That was it. You know? Wow. That, that trip is what made me decide I, this is what I wanted to do. And see, guys, there's so much here we're going to get into with Mitch. So we're going to take a quick pause for the cause, talk to our good friends at Busted Tees. But when we come <laughs> back, we're going to get into how Mitch left from Anheuser to Stone and a few things in between. We may even get into some of his homebrew background. Stick and stay. Here it is. CSPN, we'll be right back. Real quick, let me tell you about the good folks at BustedTees.com. That is where you can order all types of exciting and fun t-shirts to support this podcast and help keep it free. So look, man, you can go on, shop at BustedTees.com. All you got to do is just go on CSPN.us or CSPN.us, click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link, click on the Busted Tees banner, then shop for your t-shirts. When you do that, they send us some bread. What we do with the bread is we buy better equipment. We, For me, I go to different breweries, and we talk about what this game is. So do that. Buy your t-shirts, support us, show us some love, and we'll show you love. Bust the tees through CSPN, not U.S. 
All right, boys and girls, once again, thank you to the good folks at Busted Tees. I still got to get my T-shirt classic. Let's get on that. But in the meantime, another place that has some cool T-shirts and some badass beer and a cool-ass brewer, I am here at New Realm Brewing Company in Atlanta on the Belt Line with the man, Mitch Steele, talking about his journey. Mitch, man, let's get back into this thing, right? Okay. All right, so... You're brewing at Anheuser. It was this early, early, late 80s, early 90s. Early 90s. Early yeah. 90s. All right. We're not going to date you too bad. <laughs> but, all right. Early, you know what I'm saying? Early 90s. You're brewing at Anheuser. The craft scene was still slowly developing, right? I mean, there was... How many brew? How many craft breweries were even around? What fifty, maybe? Yeah, maybe, maybe at that time, maybe, maybe hundred. Yeah. I'm not really sure. I mean, but it wasn't a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a lot. And so, how did you figure your? What was your escape plan going to be from Anheuser? Well, I, you know, when I took the job, I, craft brewing was was starting to make waves in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and and so. Um, and, and places like Denver and Seattle. Right. And, and Portland, like, yeah. Portland, Portland yeah. Oregon, of course. Mm-hmm. And I've gone up to Portland and experienced that a couple of times when I was at San Andreas and uh, doing some beer festivals up there. And it was great. I just loved the whole culture. So when I took the job at Anheuser-Busch, I figured, well, I'll, I'll give this five years and soak it all up and then and then try to get myself back into what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up staying in Anheuser-Busch for 14 years. Yeah. I got some really good job opportunities and things like that, and it turned into a pretty good gig for a long time. But, uh, yeah, that's that was kind of my thought process going into it. Well, it's interesting. I have a lot of listeners who, you know, craft beer, not crap beer, whatever. You know, all these catchy yeah. sayings and slogans and everything. And you're down with the Brewers Association because... Later on, we're going to talk about your book, but yeah. I mean, because obviously, got to do that, right? I mean, who, who doesn't ask you about that book? <laughs> but that being said, what did you learn from those fourteen years in Anheuser? Uh, I think the biggest takeaway, you know, just in generalities, I learned how to run a brewery. I, mm. I think that is that is the main thing because that is something they do exceptionally well. They know how to make a beer. They know the checks you need to do to make the beer consistent taste consistent from brewery to brewery to brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know how to uh, do logistical planning and things like that. And and so I think the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways for me was just the operational aspect and how to manage the operation of a brewery uh, and, and a high-volume brewery, which you can apply to smaller breweries. You know, there's nothing, it's all, it's all very good management technique type stuff, but I learned a lot about that. The other thing that and I think this surprises a lot of people, is I learned about classic beer styles when I brewed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because a few years into my stint there, I got promoted and got moved to St. Louis and was put in charge of new products. Mm -hmm. And so this was right when Kraft was really starting to pick up steam. And we had come out with a beer called Elk Mountain Amber Ale at the time, which was a a pretty hoppy beer for the time. Mm. Uh, A lot of Cascade and the dry hop. and, And, you know, so I was part of the new products group for three and a half years or so and one of our goals once we got kind of got ourselves situated was to brew in the Anheuser-Busch pilot system Mm -hmm. an example of every classic style that had been defined and so we went through and we studied up on every single beer style we could find and then tried to send a recipe over to the pilot brewery and get a batch brew which was really a cool process um, and it taught me a ton I Mm. did a lot of research on my own 
Um, I read a lot of books. I did a you know, this was right when the internet was starting to really take off. And, <laughs> nice. You know, a lot of resources on the internet and stuff. And so I learned how to make a lot of classic beer styles when I was there. Well, I mean, and here's the thing. I, and, and I've been to uh, Coors's, the Tappan Street, mm-hmm. and I've been also to some of those. People don't, some of the best beers in the world that never see the light of day are in those brewing facilities. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So for <laughs> scale purposes. You went from a 14-barrel system. How big yeah. was Anheuser's system at that time, oh, at, at the place where you were brewing? Well, uh, I, I want to say Fort Collins was doing 700-barrel brews, I, I think. Ooh. They were big. Um, the St. Louis brewery brew size was four to 500 barrels, um, uh, but they were doing a lot more. So they right. were... And that brewery in St. Louis was mashing in 60 to 70 brews a day, so it, Jesus. Was, it was nuts. Uh, but the pilot system we we worked on at Anheuser Busch was a ten barrel system. Wow! So yeah. So it's kind of interesting seeing like those beers and and, and I've actually had an unfiltered like before they water it down Budweiser. Yeah, I'm like, oh, it's actually pretty damn good. It's pretty good. Because it? <laughs> it's like it's like what seven percent. Yeah, six and a half, seven percent. Yeah, right before they yeah. you know water it down to make yeah. it you know whatever. But yeah, that's a pretty good beer. I mean, yeah. And I've also had an all green without the rice. It's mm-hmm. like oh okay. Yeah, you know, I I think we made some good beers. A lot of them never saw the light of day, like you mm. mentioned. You know, a lot of them just got tasted and then got disposed of. But mm-hmm. we we had a lot of fun. All right. So after Anheuser, yeah. next step. So I was working at Anheuser Busch's brewery in Merrimack, New Hampshire, which is about an hour north of Boston. Nice. That was their New England brewery, and a little bit I, before Trillium and Treehouse, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. But I mean, it was at the time of Harpoon and and Smutty okay, Nose. Yeah. And, you know, some real good New England breweries. So, and I uh, I was there six years, loved it, loved New England, loved New Hampshire, mm-hmm. loved all of our friends. Uh, but the job wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. And, and so, I, you know, I was just kind of just starting to think about maybe making a change. Maybe it was time to finally make that change and get back into craft. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I hadn't done anything about it, but uh, right when this was all going on, Steve Wagner posted on... Uh, the Brewers Association Daily Forum, which is an emailed forum that comes out every day. Nice. And he posted an opening for a head brewer at Stone. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, that's interesting because I knew Lee Chase, the former head brewer. And I'm yeah. like, what happened to Lee? You know, And I knew Stone was going through a lot of growth. And, mm-hmm. and I knew about Stone. I drank their beer in New England. They sold it in Massachusetts. Wow. I was like, wow. You know, and, and my wife actually talked me into applying for it. She said, just apply for it. We like San Diego. You know, just check it out. We'll see what happens. All right. You know, and, and, and so I did. I applied for the job, and um, Steve and Greg flew me out to San Diego. I spent two days talking with the team there and interviewing, and I walked away going, man, I really want this. Mm. And, um, and they hired me. Wow. And it was great, you know, and I packed up everything and we moved to Cal- back to California. Nice. So <laughs> tell me about that brew house when you first got there. So Stone had just moved into their new facility in Escondido. They had been brewing in San Marcos on a 30-barrel system mm-hmm. for uh, nine and a half years, I believe it was. And and so they had just moved into this this big brewery. It was a 120-barrel <clears throat> Rolex automated brew house. I oh, think it was boy. the second Rolex system in the United States after Victory. And uh, I walked into the end of the startup process there, so I spent a lot of time in that in that brew house and and fine tuning a lot of things and and that kind of stuff. But it was you know they were uh, at that year they ended up brewing thirty eight thousand barrels of beer. Wow! Um, and they were maxed out at about thirty thousand barrels, I think, in San Marcos before I got there. And how many states were they distributed in at that point? Oh, I'd say maybe. 
25. I'm, I'm oh, not, wow. I, I don't remember exactly. That's a, but I mean, yeah. now you can buy them pretty much in every state in yeah. several countries, man. It's just yeah. fascinating to yeah, see that I mean, group. You know, my 10 years at Stone, we grew from 38,000 barrels, and I think the year I left, we did over 350,000 barrels. So it was almost Jesus. a tenfold increase. That's a lot of damn beer. Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, man, let's, let's talk a little bit of innovation. By the way, guys, you listen to Beer It Is on the CSPN Network. My name is Bryce Wilborn, here rocking with my man Mitch Steele at New Realm, here on the Beltline in Atlanta, GA. So let's start with a Stone IPA. Yeah. Man, tell me about that beer. So that was a beer I loved and was one of my favorite beers before I got to Stone. And that was Steve Wagner's beer, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got there, and I remember just looking at the recipe going, holy crap, there's a lot of hops in this beer. Mm. And uh, a lot of whirlpool hopping and, and the dry hop. And, and uh, it was a hop that I really liked, uh, Centennial. Um, Classic. It's just, yeah, it's just one of my favorite beers of all time. And, nice. and people ask me, what's the favorite beer that I got to brew at Stone? And I usually say Stone IPA because... I, I mean, I just thought it was, you know, the legacy behind that beer is amazing. And I just walked into it, and it was an honor to be able to be part of brewing it at that point, you know. All right, so who was behind the Drink by Sears? That's your, that's, that's you. So that that came about, the Enjoy by Beers, uh, Greg came to me and said, I want you to brew an IPA. We're going to put a 35-day shelf life on it. It's going to be a double IPA. And the idea is to get a beer out there that nobody ever drinks if it's beyond 35 days. So they're always going to be be guaranteed a fresh beer. And I was like, wow, what a crazy idea. And I started thinking about it. I said, but it's brilliant. Yeah. What a brilliant idea. And I said, can we manage this? <laughs> and, um, and then I asked Greg, I said, so what do you want me to do with a beer? You know, which is always the question I asked Greg when he came to me with something like this. And, and he, to, you know, he said, I want you to make a great double IPA. That was, mm. and I said, so if I use some of the research that I've been doing for the book and all the all these things that I I know that other great double IPA brewers do, that's not a problem. He goes, no, just make a delicious beer. And, make the beer, yeah. So, <laughs> I love it. So that's what I did, um, and I ended up uh, using. You know, we had contracted a bunch of New Zealand and Australian hops for the first time, mm. and this was the first beer we used them in. Wow, yeah. and then. But there's been so many variations and different styles of that beer and different creations of it. Do you have one in particular that really sticks out to you? Well, honestly, uh, you know, when, when Greg first approached me about doing these beers, we were going to brew, brew them four times a year. So I built the recipe based on the hop supply that I had. Oh, I and see. Then okay. all of a sudden it became a once-a-month beer. And so we had to go through some changes. But after about the first year and a half or so, we stopped changing the recipe. So it was, it was pretty much the same recipe for several years. And then we started doing the variations, the unfiltered ones, the ones with, oh, I think there was some, right when I left, there were some that had, like, chocolate in them. And, and we did Enjoy by Black IPA. Right. We did the chocolate, I think, was like a Valentine one. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> but, you know, the original to me was always my favorite. You know, Man, it's, it's just, just a fun beer. Yeah. And fun to drink. And, you know, it had to be drink fresh. And I think that beer also... Did a lot for the mindset of IP. I think that was like when people were still, when people were first getting into cellaring. Yeah. And they were cellaring everything, and they just didn't know any better. But then you guys kind of had to remind people, hey, 
IPAs need to be fresh because the hops fall off, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. That's That was the whole point of the beer, and I think we did a good job with that, you know. And there are still people I know, friends of mine, that still like to age their IPAs, but I just, I, I know. Nah, drink them fresh, man. I, I want them like the day they're out of the tank. <laughs> so speaking of that, man, what do you think about the cellaring game and then the trading game? Um. You know, I don't do a heck of a lot of all of it, of any of it, really, because I've, I move around a lot. And so like, yeah, I was like, you I can really do whatever beer you want. Yeah, I, you know, and those kind of beers are made for sharing, um, for sure. Uh, but, you know, one of the things we always used to do, every year we had a Super Bowl party and everybody brought their cellar beers and we shared them, you know, while we were watching the Super Bowl, which was a lot of fun. So nice. I enjoy it. I, um, you know, to me, those are beers for parties and, mm-hmm. and gatherings, and that, which is a great thing. You know? So what is a beer share like with Mitch Steele? Oh, uh, <laughs> we all try to bring our A game, that's for sure. You know, so that's that's when people break out the West Letterin and the, you know, the the 20-year-old J.W. Lees. And oh, the, uh, you know, and the, the old Foghorn vertical and the Bigfoot verticals and things like that. So we have a lot of fun with yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah, we, we, we call it, we call it dick swinging around our way. Just, <laughs> you know, just say this, this is what it is. Like, yeah. you, you bring it the whales, bro. That's pretty much <laughs> it, yeah. And so they were always a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and so with that, man, because this is one of the fascinating things for me in the beer scene. Mm-hmm. I'm still young in the beer game, still learning, still growing, but what do you think about the abundance of Whales and all that stuff. And what is your take on it? Well, I think it's it's on one hand it's really great because what it does is it fuels interest and gets people passionate about it. Um, on the other hand, I think if people focus too much on it, you miss out on a lot of really good beers that are actually quite readily available. Mm. You know, so I you know I kind of have a personal rule that I won't stand in line for a beer because there's Amen. always something. Just as good right around the corner, you know? And I, you know, and I get it. And I look, hey, if your brewery gets to the point where people are wanting to stay in line. But I also like, okay, um, there's so many good breweries now. Like, I think yeah. about um, ah, the High Willet, for instance, from, um, I lost the name of it. But. Oh, a bourbon barrel aged? Yes. Yeah. So it's a yeah. bourbon barrel aged coffee beer that's yeah. selling for like six bucks. That's as good as some yeah. of these ones are selling for 25 bucks. And people are like, well, I can get it easily, so I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a shame, you know, honestly, because th- there are a lot of good beers that are kind of failing right now because of that, you know, that, that mentality. But on the other hand, there's a lot of really great new beers that people want to try, and that's nothing wrong with that. And then from there, we're going to take another quick pause. We're going to talk to our good friends at Audible, which actually is perfect because they have ebooks, they have Audible Red books, other things of that nature. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a book, a book from a man named Mitch Steele. As we're here at New Realm Brewing, stick and stay. Beer it is. We'll be right back. Speaking of special surprises, I got one for you that you need to pay attention to and get ready for. For you, the listeners of Beer It Is podcast on the CSP Network, Audible. Audible is often a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Personally, if it's going to be me, I will check out Mitch, Mitch Steele's IPA book. It is really cool. Or you can check out Between the World and Me by Tennessee Coates, the autobiography of Gucci Mane. Whatever you're into, man, they're all out there. They're all to be heard. Or my favorite, Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling by good old J.R. Jim Ross. So when you get these books, you can hear these authors, read them, hear them. All you got to do is go to www.com, www.com. 
audibletrial.com slash beer it is. And make sure you do that so I can get the points. Because when you do that, they show me some love. And that's how we help keep the podcast free for you and for me on beer it is. So, All right, folks. I want to tell you about our good friends at Amazon.com. They have been with us literally from the start of this podcast and the start of the network. So all you got to do to support them, click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of our page at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. From there, scroll down, click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase all the items from Amazon that you normally would. It could be books, music, electronics. Or for this podcast in particular, you may be a brewer. So you need some hops. You need some grain. You need some barley, some malt, wheat, whatever it is. Anything in the world you can buy legally, they have it at Amazon. So for every purchase made on Amazon through our link, the Amazon, they send us some money. You know what that money does? It helps keep beer it is free and allows you to travel. So all you got to do, and you save some money, you support us. So, and this is at no extra cost to you, man. So go do it. Amazon.com through CSPN US. Do it, do it, do it. All right, boys and girls, once again, thank you to the good folks at Amazon for allowing us to keep this podcast free. Make sure you go there for the home brewers who listen, or even the big brewers. Get all your T-shirts, your mills, your grains, whatever you want. Hops, they got it all. Malts, and they got books, and they got good stuff. But they don't have mid-steel. I got them here for a little bit. And now I'm going to get right into these fantastic beers. He's already swirling. He's ready to go. Uh, I mean, you can tell a man who loves his craft here doing craft beer at New Realm Brewing. Real quick, Mitch. New Realm, what does it mean? Well, you know, it's, um, I, I think Carrie and Bob and I, the three of us that, that started this project, we had a lot of trouble picking a name. Mm-hmm. We had a hell of a time picking a name. Because I can imagine. Anything that we, we decided that all three of us liked mm-hmm. usually was taken, and it was very hard to find anything that all three of us liked. We're very different people. Mm. So this New Realm name kind of came up early in the process. I and love it, it. It made its way back, and we looked at it, and we said, you know, it's kind of... You know, if you look at it from a personal basis, it's it's new for this is something new for all of us, mm. and, and so it, it we started gravitating towards it. And then as we you know as we started developing a, a plan for this brewery and our beers, we decided that you know we could have some fun with the concept of of creating new realms for beer and things like that. So you know it's uh, you know it kind of lended itself to that. And this is the first new realm, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm saying I, I said first for a reason, yeah. right? Is it true there may be some more new realms coming? Oh yeah, I you know it's. Um, Are you about to hold off on that? I you know it's 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 um, you know we're going to be out of capacity here probably in a couple of years as the way things are going and and. You know, there may be some future projects in the works, but right now we're not really talking about it. We're just we're gotcha. just trying to get focus on this. Well, another thing too is, yeah. and, and, and real quick, while we're here talking about this, before we get into tasting some of these fine beers, yeah. Because I mean, we talked so much about like with your history and your story, and we haven't really talked a lot about the actual brewery. So, just real quick, um, Twenty Barrel Brew House. Tell us about the brew house here. Yeah, so we have a, a Steinecker. It's Krohn's built German. Uh, Twenty barrel automated brew house. Uh, we can do. Uh, right now, we're brewing two brews a day on it, uh, mm. four to five days a week. Uh, we can do more than that, but we we don't have enough fermentation capacity. We have forty barrel fermenters, so we're double batching into each fermenter. Sixteen of those things, right? Sixteen fermenters. Um, it's a lot of damn beer. 
It is a lot of beer. And then, um, yeah, so it's an automated brew house, manual cellar, so we're dragging pumps and hoses around in the cellar. Uh, we've got uh, also a five-barrel pilot system. It's a two-vessel steam system as well. Mm. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it brews great beer. So it's uh, we're brewing, we're trying to brew a wide variety of beers, but also uh, kind of kind of hit our... Uh, Hit some volume on the on the IPA and the Pilsner, which we're brewing on a pretty regular basis. I can imagine. Um, real quick, what are you doing with your water? So Atlanta water is great for brewing because it's very soft. Uh, the only thing we're really doing is we are pulling, uh, we're running it through a carbon filter to pull out the carbon. Carbon, okay. And and then we are adding salts depending on what style we're brewing. It's it's like starting with at ground zero. It's nice, it's so refreshing for me because. California, the water was so incredibly hard. You were really limited on on the flexibility with treating your water. In Cali, a lot of times you have to carbon and you have to do RO. Yeah, which we did. As well, by the way, RO is reverse osmosis. Yep. Yeah, put it out. Yeah, makes sure, Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but the hardness levels in California water could go anywhere from two hundred and fifty to four hundred parts per million, which is a lot more than you want for most most Ooh. beer styles. How much money does that save you not having to do reverse osmosis? Oh, the RO system, <laughs> it's incredible. The RO systems themselves are expensive, and then all the brine that you create that's got really high mineral content has to be disposed of somehow. So, right. yeah, it's uh, it, it was an incredibly expensive Money, process. time, effort. Yeah. So all you have to do basically is do a treatment, and then, of course, for IPAs, you want it to kind of match, you want the water to match whatever the water would have been, depending on what you're trying to do with that beer. Exactly. So we're adding uh, mineral salts to, more mineral salts to the IPA water than we're adding to the Pilsner water. And, you know. and that leaves us a perfect segue into tasting some of these. So, man, we have six samples here in front of us. We're just going to go one by one. We're going to start. Seems like he's got his lineup from light to dark. I took this a way. picture of this, by the way. This way. Nice. Yeah. This way. So... <laughs> We're going to have some fun here. So let's start with sample one. Tell us about this beer, Mitch. Okay, so this is a beer we just came out with. It's, uh, we're calling it a sparkling ale. Uh, it's based off, uh, mm. inspired by the Australian sparkling ale. It's an uh, all malt, just pale malt, a uh, little bit of Pilsner malt, and uh, Australian hops in the finish. And we came out with it um, just last week, actually. Nice. It's just wanted a nice drinkable beer mm. and, you know, something that the people that weren't really heavily into beer could drink and enjoy so this is the one when people come in and they say i drink budweiser i drink corona i drink heineken yeah this <laughs> is what we would give them to start with all right and there's some nice hop character in it but it's not dry hopped or it's not ipa like at all no it's just, just really nice. classy clean yeah. uh what's the abb on this beer it's about five percent sessionable yeah Ooh, i love the nose on this one man and the color is really clean man it, it gives you a really pretty look yeah it's just uh, kind of a nice straw colored beer and see, this is where having a good centrifuge system comes yep, in. Exactly. Shakes all the sediment, <laughs> everything out of it, makes it really smooth, really easy. All right, so then let's get into number two here. Number two is our flagship IPA. It's called Hoplandia IPA. This is Hoplandia. A pretty, pretty much inspired by West Coast IPAs. It's what I've brewed for so long. Uh, pale malt, little English crystal malt, and then Simcoe and Centennial hops are the feature hops in this beer. Mm. So I, you know, I get a lot of uh, peach and lemon off the aromatics of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, this is West Coast. <laughs> a little bit of piney, not overly done, though. Yeah. Really smooth, easy. If I'm correcting this on that 6.5, 7%, right? 7.3. 7.3, yep. nice. Yeah. So this is one, okay, boys and girls, 
And when you come here, and by the way, tell us exactly where you guys are located. And just mention the belt line. So we are uh, in, in uh, the old Fourth Ward of Atlanta. We're uh, right on the belt line, right near Pond City Market. Nice. Um, the address is, depending on who you're talking to, uh, 820 Ralph McGill Boulevard or uh, Somerset Terrace. And I don't remember the number because we're in the process of changing addresses. Yeah, because uh, like, I, I did Somerset Terrace and, and it took me to Pond City Market and wanted me to walk. And I was like... Yeah. So I had to put in. I had to basically do it for two urban licks, and That's then it took what me I always in here. Tell people right, to do, navigate to two urban licks, and we're next door. Gotcha. <laughs> but eventually, they're going to get it right. They're going to get it right with Waze and all the other apps. But yep. um, when you come here and you order this beer, don't play around with it, man. Because uh, at seven percent, it doesn't drink like that. How do you get it there? You know, I've always been a big believer in making our beers dry and not real sweet, and, mm. and the hopping. Um, you know, managing your fermentation avoids. You know, generating a lot of that alcohol heat kind of character. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are the things that we do to try and make our beers, uh, you know, pretty drinkable, even if they are higher in alcohol. Makes sense. All right, then let's get down to number three here. So, number three is Kikimura Imperial IPA, and this mm. is uh, our Imperial IPA. It's it's hopped a little bit differently. It's not kind of it's not the classic West Coast topping. It's it is uh, Pacific Northwest hops, but there are newer varieties. There's Citra in here, Mosaic, uh, Laurel. And Azaka. Mm. Um, and so there's four different hops in this beer that we feature. Really smooth, good nose. Yeah, we were going for something a little bit more more stone fruit and tropical fruit on this one than we were with uh, Hoplandia. See, this feels like a vacation, man. This feels like... Obviously, you haven't experienced very much warm weather here, unfortunately, yet. <laughs> well, at least during this part of, since the brewery's been open. Yeah, right. But, I mean, yeah, you've been here for a while, off and yeah, on, I've coming back. Yeah, I've spent two summers here. So, right, yes, yeah. so you know what it is. Yeah. This feels like summer beer, but it's not a low ABV beer at all. No, it's 8, 8.4%, so it's uh, it packs a wallop. And this one, it almost drinks lighter than the hot blandy, which is kind of scary. Yeah, the bitterness doesn't come across the same way in mm-hmm. this beer. It it's, comes across a little softer. All right, then let's get down. We can walk on the dark side a little bit here. Yep these uh, these next two brews were brewed on our five barrel pilot system. Uh, the first one is uh, well, I picked pi- the coffee up here, baby. Pilot light coffee porter. So mm. um, uh, it was brewed on our pilot system. That, that's where the name came from, and we're using a local coffee roaster called Firelight. Uh, they've provided the coffee for this beer. We brewed it twice now, and nice. just love it. It's a it's a classic English porter recipe with with coffee. Nice, really classy. Porter, but that that coffee man is so good. It smells and it's, and we just wanted it to really kind of be in the mix with it with the dark malts. We didn't want the coffee to stand out. We didn't want people to think they were drinking iced coffee, like right? Like a cold brew or something, right? Yeah. So. But no, it's just enough, man. Like a hint. All right, then let's get in. So the next beer is a lager. Uh, this is uh, oh, it's a dark lager. It's a like dark it. lager. Yeah. It's a Schwartz beer. Uh, we kind of brewed it. You know, on the fly. Uh, was, just, was this the beer you <laughs> took to um, ACAT, Atlanta, Cascale? No, actually, that was a that was an English mild that we took there. Oh, that's the one that yeah. actually won an award at Cascale. Yeah, we won a gold medal yeah. for UK-style Cascale. Shout out. To, that was a phenomenal beer. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was a real treat. An actual Cascale. Anyway, we'll get into that later, right? Mmm. So just kind of nice and clean with a, with a bit of roastiness to it. And, not a lot of bitterness, just a nice clean beer. Now tell us the ABV on this one. I believe this one came out at about six point four. Really? Yeah. Man, stop playing, man. See, like, yeah. because I'm, okay, because guys, I'm telling you, man, this beer 
drinks like a session beer, man. But I mean, it is flavorful. Yeah, thank you. At the it's, same time. Yeah, that was. I just got some alcohol in it. Don't play around. I'm telling you, man. You come <clears throat> here. Take your time. So this next one is our grand opening beer. This is Radagast Triple IPA. This is 11.5%. Um, the hopping is mostly Citra and Eldorado. And we just wanted to do a kick-ass kind of beer to start things off with. Nice. You got to do that. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's big. <laughs> Ooh. And it looks good, too. Yeah, just a nice deep gold color. and Yeah. Man, so like, what kind of feedback you got on this one? This is this is phenomenal. You know, it's it's a pretty big beer, so people are uh, people love it, but they don't want to drink too much of it. You know? No, you can't drink too much of it. I mean, it, well, I mean, maybe if you walk on the belt line a little bit yeah. afterwards, but man, have to be careful, man. Walk in some loops. Yeah, I don't know if I drink a full pint of this beer in one sitting, but uh. no, this is one of those. Um, and, and I see he's got some bottles of them. Yeah, and he's got cans. This is one of those. If you if you buy the bomber. You share it. You share it. This is one of those you take to a share, and you enjoy with some other people. You don't drink this unless you're not going anywhere. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I would not recommend driving. Yeah. All right, man. So, actually, because, like, we ran a little bit longer on this one. We're going to take a pause. We're going to come back. We're going to do our six-pack. We're going to get Mitch out of here. Stick and stay. Beer it is. CSPN. We'll be right back. Wink Wine Club is a world of wine delivered right to your door. From rosés to cabernets to torontes, Wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover. Ever try an orange wine? Wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your taste and delivered directly to your door. Wink delivers four bottles of wine to you each month with free shipping. You can pick your own bottles or let Wink choose and match to your taste. It doesn't cost a thing to become a member and you can skip or cancel at any time. And now for the listeners of the Beer It Is podcast, you can enjoy an exclusive discount of $20 off your first order. To place your first order with $20 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us forward slash wink. That's cspn.us forward slash w-i-n-c. Wink wines through CSPN. Do it today. All right, boys and girls, I want to thank the good folks at blueapron.com for helping to keep the podcast free. Get your meals. You know what's good with a you know what's with, good with a good meal, depending on what beer you're drinking. And they got good beer here at New Realm, which is where I'm at now with Mitch Steele. And we're gonna get into my favorite segment of the show. You would think it's a taster segment, but actually it is a six pack of fun. And <laughs> these are six questions that I come up with that kind of come up off, off the dome. Have some fun with it with my man Mitch. So let's get right into it. Okay. All right, question one. Four, well, actually, for you, I'll make it six people. Because most of what I do, I do four people. I'll make it six. I'll give you a couple okay. extra people. Six people, dead or alive, to have one beer with. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay. Uh, right off the top of my head, uh, John Lennon. Ooh, okay. Um, Let it be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say Stephen King. Okay. Um, Mark McGuire. Oh, Okay. Um, Ken Stabler. All right, that's four. That's okay. four. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken Stabler. I would say. Um, uh, let's see. Ken Stabler definitely just knocked back a few in today. <laughs> yeah, he was a big beer drinker. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Among other activities. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, oh gosh. Um, 
Malcolm Young from ACDC. Okay. Uh, and I need one more. Probably a brewer, a historical brewer. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, oh boy, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, Oh, so this I, is where I most guys said her wife or something like that. Oh, my wife doesn't drink beer, so oh, I, 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 yeah, she didn't even <laughs> fall into the mix. Uh, <laughs> I would say um, uh, Thomas Bass from Bass Breweries. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So you got this crew. You got Stable. You got Thomas Bass. You got <laughs> Mark McGuire. You got Rock and Rollers. You got... Stephen King. Yeah. I mean, this is interesting so, crew. There encompasses my, my range of interests, right? <laughs> oh, fascinating as hell, man. Um, what are you serving them? Oh, definitely the IPA, uh, Hoplandia IPA. Uh, I would like to serve them our Pilsner as well. Uh, I, and unfortunately, we don't have it today. We've got some that's going to be ready in about a week, but uh, just so happy with that beer. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. Man, by the way, as a sidebar, Pilsners, I love that they're coming back in vogue in craft. Yeah, I think too. for a while that craft brewers kind of tried to shun people on Pilsners because, well, let's be real, they take longer than fermenter. Yep. And it's money that's being taken up. So It is. It was a very, you know, we looked at that very closely when we decided to brew one, and, and we just, Bob and Carrie and I, mm. we just love the style and wanted to have one. So we said, you know what, if it... If it sells a lot and it impacts our capacity, so be it. Yeah. We'll deal with it. Hey, you look, and you can't hide in the pills either. No. <laughs> no. I mean, honestly, when, when, when Tyler and I, Tyler's our head brewer, and mm-hmm. when, when we tasted that Pilsner in the bright tank the first time, we looked at each other and said, we, we nailed it. This is exactly what we were trying to do. Yeah, I met Tyler at ACAT, man. Really cool dude with a cool story. We yeah, actually had great. him on our ACAT episode. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he's a good dude, man. Sat he is. And, Talked to four different brewers and sat and chatted with Tyler and nice. had him on the ACAT show. So, shout out to him, man. Good guy. Great grinder. Yeah. yeah. Just a great guy to have on our team. Right. Too. Hell of a story he has. He, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that off here. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Question three <clears throat> Who is the coolest person you've met in brewing? Oh, my gosh. Well, you asked me a lot of tough questions. Uh, I would say Steve Wagner at Stone. Mm. I should have said other than Stone, guys. Okay, if you want me to say somebody other than Stone. um, uh, John Kimmick up at The Alchemist. Nice. I think he's a cool dude. He's got a great approach to what he's trying to do. Um, you know, he's uh, he does what he does, and he does it really well, and he's just enjoying that. And I love their beer, man. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, I love their him beer. him or Matt Cole at Fatheads. Ooh, Matt Cole at Fatheads is one of my best friends in the business. Now I lived in Cleveland um, for four years, mm-hmm. and so I was there when Fatheads was really starting. Yeah. By the way, have, I'm assuming you've been to the brewery, right? Yeah, I have. Many man, times. anybody yeah. make better smoked wings than those guys? Oh, they're they're <laughs> amazing, and and Matt's such a good guy. He's a generous guy. Um, he's making some of my favorite beers. A hot juju and just unbelievable beer. Yeah, I Cleveland as a beer area does not get nearly enough credit for I mean everything from so many good breweries there that get they don't get talked about as much in the craft beer scene. There's a great beer scene in Cleveland. It's it's, I I got to go there a bunch when I was with Stone and I've been there once since then and I just I just enjoy my time in that city. It's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about Hoppin' Frog, all these different places yeah. in Akron and Canton and, yeah. and Cleveland. I mean, what, just or just the style of Christmas ale. Yeah. <laughs> that winter warmer is oh, just. Oh, right. 
I mean, there's just great beers being brewed there and right. great people there, too. Right, and yeah. good food. Shout out to Michael Simon and all those people up oh, there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Making good food and good beer Absolutely. really affordable. All right, then, next question. Where, other than Stone, where <laughs> is the coolest brewery you've been to? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say two. Uh, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Cantillon in Brussels. Oh, that's God. a must visit for any beer fan. Uh, it's just such so much history. Uh, and they're still open fermenting, all that stuff, yeah, right? It's yeah. just amazing. Uh, I think Fuller's in London. Okay. Amazing place. If you have any interest in British beers and English beer styles, you got to go to Fuller's. They, they do the best job of anybody. Wooden fermenters there too still, right? I'm not sure if they still do that, but, I mean, they've, they've got the whole brewery tour set up as a museum. So they've wow. got all this really old equipment there, and they're wow. just doing such good beers. And then Sierra Nevada, of course. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Either, so either location. I could it's okay. I mean, but it's hard. I mean, because when you've been <laughs> to so many of these places and yeah. been able to kind of hang out, um, what is the biggest mistake you've made in brewing? Oh, biggest mistake. I, you know, probably like a lot of people, I've, I've let beer go out the door that probably shouldn't have gone out the door. You know, mm. you learn from that. It's like, you know, we had a beer with a, you know, a little bit of an off flavor back in the day, and I won't say what it was or when it was, but... Ah, I knew I was going to ask. <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, you let it go out, and then you kind of, then you second guess yourself, and you're like, you know what, I should never have let that go out. And, and you know, it's a lesson learned. That's a life lesson right there. So, okay, you have to tell me what name of it was, but what kind of feedback did you get on it? I don't know if we got any feedback on it. I just felt bad about it myself. Interesting. Because as the beer was being poured, I could taste it. I could taste what was wrong with that beer. And, and if mm. I'm not happy with the beer, I don't want other people drinking it. All right. It and was a very important lesson for me. Well, I would imagine because that has to be kind of like, well, damn, I know I could have did this. Especially when you can taste. Because yeah. you, you've judged. How many competitions have you judged over Oh, you? I don't know. Dozens. You know, I, I, I do GABF almost every year. I do World, World Beer Cup. Every you know, every year that they have it, so you know, I, I judge a lot, and you know, the, this beer wouldn't have made it past the first round in any of those competitions. You know? Wow! And I'm like, you know, it, it it wasn't obviously bad, but it was bad enough for me to pick it up every time I tasted it, and I'm like, never again, never again will I let a beer like that out. Wow! And then, last question: Do you still enjoy beer festivals? I enjoy beer festivals. To an extent. Um, it, it depends on what else is going on. The real big beer festivals are tough for me. I found that I've, as I've gotten older, my tolerance for crowds and for drunk people when I'm not drunk <laughs> right. has, has gone way down. Right. Uh, that said, you know, one of my favorite beer festivals, any any beer festival that has a music feature to it, I'm, I'm game. I'm on board with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mammoth uh, Blues of Palooza that happens every summer in Mammoth, California mm. is one of my favorite beer festivals. I would go to that every year if I could. Nice, so, nice. You know, but, you know, some of the bigger beer festivals are a little bit much for me. And I still like to make an appearance and, 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 and spend some time there. But I'm usually done after about two hours. And then I'm ready to go get a quiet dinner somewhere. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, because, like, it's so weird because when I first got into it, I used to love beer festivals. Like, the brewers would be there. Yeah. Or at least some owners or somebody from each brewery that could actually explain to you what you're drinking. Yeah. What's going on. And now it's just a bunch of volunteers just pouring beer. With no knowledge of what they're pouring in. Yeah, and part of that's been fueled by the fact that people who are drinking the beers and sampling the beers don't seem to be as interested in talking about the nuances of the beer anymore. They're just right. interested in, in, in 
feeling the effects of it. And, and that's, that's when a beer festival kind of stops being the magic that it was, you know? Right. So. Well, and I think one of the things for me I love about beer, I, I call it, it's the rare things that goes into all six senses, right? Like you can see beer, you can touch beer, you can taste it, you can smell it, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Everything. And then it yeah. gives you that extra sense where it kind of can alter your mindset yeah. a little bit. Yep. Yep, which is a wonderful thing to a, to a certain extent, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, then bonus question. Okay. What are you drinking in Georgia that's not your stuff? Oh, yeah. Boy, there's so many good beers here. Uh, I've been drinking a lot of uh, Three Taverns. Um, they're uh, Night on Ponce and <laughs> Prince of Pilsen. I drink a lot of Creature Comforts, uh, Tropicalia. Uh, I've started getting get into some Monday night beers and, nice. and some of the other local breweries that I haven't had much of a chance to try yet. I think uh, Wild Heaven's beers are good. Reformation's beers are good. I, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm enjoying everything, to be honest, you know, and it's just kind of an, it, it's kind of a road of discovery right now for me. So yeah. I'm just kind of, you know, if I haven't tried it and it's a style I like, I usually go for it. And it's more often than not, it's, it's quite nice. Yeah, I will tell you, man, that, you know, somebody who grew up here, in the last five years, the beer scene has just... That's a good beer scene. Yeah, it's become amazing because yeah. I remember when I left Atlanta to move some other places and I just came back, like, you know, it was Sweetwater. You know, they, they were yeah. what they were, Terrapin and Athens, and Monday Night really hadn't come on yeah. yet, Red Hair, some of these other places, and then it was Red Brick. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. That was what you had. And if you're old enough, you had Dogwood, okay. you know, back in the day. But that, there wasn't a lot. Yeah. Um, five Seasons, where they had ACAT. They mm-hmm. were doing some cool stuff. Shout out to Crawford. But other than that, there just wasn't a whole, there yeah. wasn't a scene. Yeah, for a city this big, there's, there's, you know, but the people that are part of the scene are as, as legit as anywhere else. You know, yeah. that's, that's what was my impression, you know, when I first got here. It's like the people that run the beer scene here are part of the beer scene here. They know their shit, right. and they're doing a good job, and there's some great beer bars here, and they know how to treat their beer and take care of their beer, and I just, it, it was uh, it was really nice to see, you know, yeah. it was really fun. So how long were you here before you opened up? So I started, I started with New Realm, uh, the company that became New Realm, in uh, July of 2016. Okay. So I've been um, coming to Atlanta off and on since then. Nice. So where were you hanging? Uh, well, we, um, you know, I'm staying in an apartment in... Uh, in Inman Park, uh, so you know I tend to stick close to home. I don't have a car here yet. Uh, <laughs> wow! So you know the Porter is a is a pretty regular hangout for me. Shout out to the uh, Porter. Shout out to that uh, crew over there. Yeah, the Albert Hampton and Hudson, um, uh, Ladybird. Um, nice. You know it, you, you know, made over to Brickstore a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Get to Brickstore whenever I can get a ride over there. I catch an Uber or something like that. And, nice. And you know that's one of our favorite places too. So you know I. I I'm, you know, again, it's still kind of fun just going out and exploring places, you know, and, and, and learning about the city. It's been a lot of fun, and there's some great beer bars here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Porter alone, you can go there and find anything. I think that's one of the first places you guys got on yeah. once you guys really got it going. So yeah, and they've been great. You know, they've, uh, you know, when we started going in there, and you know, we introduced ourselves to them, and they were excited that we were coming. Husband and wife team grinding yeah. as owners. Yeah. Yeah, and they. And they you know, they've been really, everybody's been really 
open arms with us, which has just been fantastic. Yeah, and, and we mentioned earlier off air, like you've gotten to know a lot of the brewers in the city. Yeah. Uh, what's it kind of been like, kind of getting to know some of those people? Well, you know, we walked in without knowing the city and how to do things, and um, we, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we knew who the players were as far as permitting and all that kind of stuff, and you know, we we'd pick up the phone and we call these breweries and stop by and, and talk to them a little bit and, and everybody was really helpful you know we we spent a lot of time at Orpheus and Scofflaw and Three yeah. Taverns and, and Sweetwater helped us a bunch so everybody's been great it's been wonderful that's cool yeah like I said man thank you so much for coming on sitting with us I could keep for another bit but I know you gotta get back in there <laughs> and do this man we gotta do this again sometime yeah that'd be fun Mitch great thank fun. you so much for doing this alright guys Got finished talking to Mitch, talking about all the fine beers. I'm going to have me another pint, but we're going to do that off the air. Once again, thank you. Looking forward to it. When we come back, we got to do New Rome again because like, we didn't even talk about the food. You know, we uh, sat here. Yeah. I mean, the food is some of the best food that I've had at a brew pub in a long time. And just, well, let's answer one more question. So what are you guys? You guys are a brewery. That serves food? I mean, like, how does this work? Yeah, first and foremost, we're a brewery, but the restaurant is a showcase for our beers, and the food is a um, is, is something to pair with our beers, and the food is absolutely incredible. Our chef, Julio, is amazing. So, you know, it's uh, he's doing a lot of different things with the food. I, I haven't had a dish he's made that I haven't enjoyed. Nice. So. Man, like I said, there's so much more. We'll have to do a part two some other time where we just talk about the food and the pairings. Awesome. And all these other things. Anyway, guys, thank you so much. There it is, and we are out.